So before I talk about Philippians this morning, if I may, I'd like to do a commercial. I was one of those privileged, and there is absolutely no other word. I was one of those privileged to be here on Wednesday evening to listen to George Snyman talk about hands at work in Africa. It is years since I have heard a man who just radiated Jesus. His humility was immense. The stories, they were harrowing, and yet they were uplifting. It just made you feel, this is true. This is true. Jesus transforms lives. If you weren't able to be here on Wednesday for whatever reason, I believe the talk is going to be on the website. Please listen to it. It will inspire you as it inspired me. On to Philippians. You sometimes hear of people, a parent who is terminally ill, and they have the sad realisation that they will not see their children grow up. So very often, what they do is they write a letter to their children to be read when their children reach maturity. And in these letters, they pour out their hopes, their fears, their dreams. They share their deepest feelings. They share their life experience. When I think of letters like that, I think of Paul. Paul, a prisoner. Paul, chained to Roman guards. Paul, possibly facing execution and taking what could be one last opportunity to write to the church he loved. He wrote to the Philippians. The Philippians were his joy and his delight. Joy is the key word in the whole letter. And in that letter, he shares with them, like a father to a child, he shares with them his hopes his deepest convictions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And from today's passage, there are just three things which Paul shares with them that I like to take out and look at together. And the first thing Paul says to them is that the Christian life has a focus. This one thing I do. The modern translation of that is, these 40 things I dabble at. Paul has a focus. This one thing I do. I remember as a schoolboy, sadly not all vicars were nice schoolboys, I remember as a schoolboy finding this wonderful thing called a magnifying glass. And on the occasional bright summer days, I would spend the breaks looking for bugs in the grass on the school field and seeing how quickly the magnifying glass could focus the rays of the sun and blast this poor bug underneath me. I was not, I'm afraid, a friend of the earth. But I learned then the power of focus. A magnifying glass can collect light and can set fire to paper. Or think of a laser, just a beam of photons that can cut through 
steal. Paul wanted the lives of the Christians in Philippians to have this focus. One of the saddest times in my life was when I basically had a rupture with my father, one that really probably was never healed. My father worked on a building site. He worked extremely hard in all weathers. He was a very sporty person. He lived life to the full. I was a sporty person. We got on extremely well until the day came when I told him that I wanted to study theology at university and I intended to be ordained as a priest. That broke his heart. I knew it would. And he said to me, Alan, wear a black suit, dig a six-foot hole, and lie in the bottom of it. For as far as he was concerned, Christianity was simply life-denying. It drained the colour out of it. It was about giving things up. I disagreed with him then, and if he was still alive, I would disagree with him now. You see, for me, Christianity is not about giving things up. Christianity is about reordering your life to live it to the full. That's what Paul talks about. This one thing I do. You see, I have met many, many people in my life who seem to go round in circles They have no focus. They have no centre to their lives. They live lives of quiet desperation. They become frustrated. They always seek the next thing, which they will believe to be the thing that will give purpose and meaning to their life. Paul says to the Philippians, don't go down that road. Center your life on Christ. Center your life on Christ. He writes them, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul had realized the futility of trying to build yourself up, of trying to give yourself a false importance by your achievements, by your family pedigree, by your educational status. Paul says, I attached importance to all those things. But now he says, I regard them as rubbish, as dung. They matter not at all. Forgetting what is behind forgetting all the things which in the past gave him significance and purpose, and straining to what is ahead, I press on. That's what Paul wants the Philippians to do. That's what Paul wants us to do. To be focused on Christ and to be intent on pressing on. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
You see, Paul has realised he is a son of the king. We are sons and daughters of the king. Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And so now he, Paul, centres his life on Christ. He has a focus and he wants the Philippians to do the same. I press on. And that's the second thing. Paul tells the Philippians that the Christian life has a destination. I've said to you before about the soldier's jibe. The most dangerous combination in the British army is a soldier with a map. An officer with a map indeed. But there's something worse than that. The most dangerous thing is an officer without a map. Someone who has no compass bearing. Someone who has no firm direction in life. Someone who is going round in circles. Who cannot make head nor tail of what life is about. Goes this way this week, that way next. The Christian life has a direction. What's the direction that Paul tells us? I press on for the prize for which Christ has laid hold of me, the upward, heavenward call. Paul is clear. Christ calls us forward. Have you ever thought that God is a beckoning word? God is a beckoning word. Christ calls us forward. The upward, heavenward call. But you see, the difficulty is, once you mention heaven... You lay yourself open to comments that my father would have made. People being so heavenly minded that they are no earthly use. You've seen people like that. Is that what Paul is asking of them? To be so heavenly minded that they are actually no earthly use. Not in the least. Verse 20, Paul tells them, Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's the clue to what Paul is talking about. For instantly, the Philippians would have got his picture. The Romans made a practice of establishing colonies at strategic points throughout the empire. The citizens there were mostly veteran soldiers who had completed their 21 years of service. In Roman colonies, the Roman life was lived to the full. There were Roman magistrates. The Roman dress was worn. Roman law was observed. Roman standards were observed. And Romans' morals were expected. The colonies were fragments of Rome set throughout the world. Even at the very end of the Roman Empire, they were like Rome. Can you see what Paul is saying? Our citizenship is in heaven. What he's saying is this. Just as your fellow citizens in Philippi live as though they were in Rome, so you too must live as though you were in heaven. 
You must live by heaven's standards, by heaven's morals. That must be your guiding principle. That's the way you are to live. Christian Aid has a slogan, doesn't it? We believe in life before death. That's what Paul is saying. Our life before death is to be lived by the standards of heaven. We are to march to the beat of a different drum. We do not take our standards and our values necessarily from those around us. Our standards are the standards of Christ and the standards of the gospel. That's what Paul is urging on the church in Philippi. They to have a focus and they are to have a destination. It is heaven. And because it's heaven, they are to live by those standards today. And one final thing for this morning. Not only a focus, not only a destination, they are to live a life that leads to new life. You see, for Christians... We have a destination, but we do not have a terminus. We have a destination, but we do not have a terminus. You see, unlike for many of us, death was very real in the ancient world. Life expectancy was short. People died at home. People died in the street. It was hard to avoid death. From early childhood, death was part of the fabric of life. And so the ancients didn't play games. They didn't pretend that death was nothing at all. They didn't pretend it was merely going into the next room. They didn't talk about people passing away. People died. And Paul knew this. Paul regarded, as the whole Bible does, death as a monster. Death as something dreadful and horrible. Death as an enemy. But the thing that Paul rejoices in is what we were looking at last week about the resurrection. This dreadful, this horrible enemy death is now a defeated foe. Because of Christ's resurrection, it is no longer a terminus. It is something we will have to pass through, but pass through we will. And that is why he can say when he writes to the Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? That's what Paul says to the Philippians. Death is real. Death is an enemy, but death is a defeated enemy. We have a destination, but not a terminus. Pass through death. Where do we go? Let me shock you. I do not believe that we go to heaven. I do not believe we go to heaven. Ten years ago, I would have done that. But my thinking has changed. 
As I've reread the New Testament and I've read people like Tom Wright, my thinking has been I no longer believe that Christians go to heaven. If you imagine that as some spiritual, ethereal place, I no longer believe that when Christ returns and God is finally all in all, this wonderful universe, this creation of which we were singing earlier, is to be treated merely like some stage scenery to be folded up and put away. The play is ended. I no longer believe that. If you want to, well, you're welcome to say, we will go to heaven. So long as you see it as a staging post. In my father's house are many mansions. If you look up the word that's used there, many mansions, many rooms, it means a traveller's rest in the desert. It's a temporary residence. It's where we will be, if you like, a holding station. God will remake, will recreate, will reorder this universe to a splendour and a wonder that he always intended. And we shall have real, more real, physical bodies than ever we have done in the past. And our lives will be fully open to God and fully open to one another. That's what I've come to believe. That's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is life after life after death. In other words, it's not simply about going to heaven, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. It is being part of God's wonderful, wonderful, physical, real, new creation, new heavens, new earth. That's what Paul is saying to them. That's what he finds so exciting. Just think of it this way. If you imagine that this world of space and time and matter is something that's going to be done away with. If you imagine our bodies, our physicality, is just a temporary inconvenience, then why should we bother about the world we live in? Why should we bother about global warming? Why should we bother about conservation? Why does justice matter? What does the global debt matter? Why bother to try to cure AIDS? All these things will be as nothing. This is just trivial. If everything is to be wrapped up, rolled up in a ball and disposed of. I don't believe that's true anymore. I believe God is going to recreate the universe and give us more real bodies than we've ever had in our lives. Perhaps we can think of it this way. Sometimes somebody's ill. And you say, poor old so-and-so. He is a shadow of his former self. Can I put it to you that we are shadows of our future self? Our present self to the future self we shall be 
is like a photocopy to the glorious original. We are not yet what God intends us to be. For Christians, the best is always yet to come. I'm passionate about this. I believe this deeply. You see, for 10 years, I worked in a parish in a really tough, deprived place. Sociologically, it had little going for it. There was substance abuse, drink, drugs, marital breakdown, deprivation, mass unemployment amongst the men. It was an old coal mine steel town. How can you stay there when you see that around you? When you visit people whose marriages are collapsing, where a family member has been diagnosed with an illness, in that situation, do you just say to them, well, never mind. We're all going to heaven. One day it will all be different. This doesn't matter. You can't say that. I can't say that. What I can say is I believe in the kingdom of God at work through Jesus here and now. And I believe in what Jesus will do in the future to transform and to make real everything that is broken and marred and distorted. That's the belief that allowed me to live there and to work there and to pray there. Can you see how we've come full circle? Because this world is the world that God created, the world that God loves, and the world that God in Jesus is setting to rights, then we live focused lives, lives that have purpose, lives that have a destination. We can look death in the face as a defeated enemy. And whatever is happening in our lives now, it matters to God, but it is not what it will finally be. That's the letter that Paul writes to people he thinks he may not see again. Deeply, deeply personal. And just as much a challenge to me and to you as it was to the original Philippians. How focused in our lives do we just dabble? Do we have a destination, a purpose in our lives? Do we see the world around us and the people around us as shadows of what they can and will be in God's new creation? Let's just pray. Father, we're told that when you created everything, you looked at it and behold, it was very good. But Lord, we recognize that 
we have marred and distorted your world and your image in ourselves. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his work and the coming of the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that you will transform our lowly bodies into the glorious bodies that you have for us. And that the day will come soon when you will recreate this world to be the object of wonder that you always long for it to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.